Welcome to Foresight Friday Roundup, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Friday, November 5th. You've got less than three weeks to find a turkey. Good luck with that. On today's episode of the Roundup, we're going to talk about the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation and CMMI's self-proclaimed refresh of its strategic direction for the next 10 years. To tell us what the center's new direction means for value-based care, payers and providers, and more importantly, consumers, are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? I'm feeling chipper this morning, Dave. Yesterday, I learned that our podcast is gaining a very loyal audience, closing in on a thousand listeners per episode. Thank you, listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you who turn in to hear the best 20 minutes in healthcare every week. That's great, Dave. Good to hear. Thank you. Julie, how are you? Well, I couldn't agree more with that. That's amazing. And if any of those listeners want to come out to Seattle to visit, I would recommend the summer because we're having some pretty stormy days these days. Bring an umbrella. That's great. That's right. Thank you. Now, before we talk about the center's new direction and what it means for stakeholders, I wanted to ask you about the cover of CMMI's white paper that details its new direction. Dave, did you get that illustration? Uh, What does it say to you? I'm not very good at interpretive art. Mostly I see a big expanding yellow blob exploding off the page at me from a deep blue background. It's really disconcerting. Closer inspection reveals an amoeba, the nuclear symbol, a light bulb, measles, source code, and tic-tac-toe, X's and O's. (laughs) Thanks, Dave. Julie, if that illustration was part of a Rorschach test, uh, what would you see? Well, I either see some sort of rendition of COVID or some ill-formed Mr. Potato Head. (laughs) I'm not quite sure which. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks, Julie. Yeah, I I see the light bulb and I see some electrons flying around it, but I just don't get that fleshy mass behind it with the dots, circles, and Xs. Maybe it is an amoeba, Dave. I'm sure it means something. Well, like we used to say at Modern Healthcare, everyone's an art director, especially publishers. So beauty (laughs) is in the eye of the beholder. Okay, let's talk about this new direction for CMMI outlined in its white paper. The report opens with six lessons learned from the first 10 years of experimenting with value-based care and reimbursement models. One, ensure that health equity is embedded in every model. Two, streamline the model portfolio and reduce complexity and overlap to help scale what works. Three, develop tools to support transformation and care delivery and to assist providers in assuming financial risk. Four, The design of models may not consistently ensure broad provider participation. Five, the complexity of financial benchmarks have undermined model effectiveness. And six, models should encourage lasting care delivery transformation. Dave, do you agree or disagree with the center's self-assessment? Do you have any of your own lessons learned to add to that list? Well, first, let's acknowledge that this strategic refresh by CMS is a good faith effort to review CMMI's activity and progress since the program's inception in 2010. 
the timing is right. The agency has 10 years of data on over 50 programs. When Rick Gilfellan launched CMMI under Obama, he had a throw the spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks mentality. Basically, their belief was that CMMI had to experiment broadly and let the marketplace reveal what programs worked and which didn't. So they launched dozens of programs, almost all of them small, voluntary, and of limited duration. Unfortunately, the progress toward value-based reform from this onslaught of activity has been modest at best. Only six programs have generated statistically significant savings. Maryland's all-payer model, non-emergency ambulance support, value-based purchasing and home health, prepayment for ACO participants, the Pioneer ACO program, and finally combining treatment for end-of-life patients with hospice care. Of these, only the Maryland model and the Pioneer ACOs saved any real money. The Maryland model, despite its success, doesn't qualify for expansion in duration and scope. The Pioneer ACO program is down to just nine participants from its original 32 in 2012. Along with the Pioneer ACO, only three other programs have qualified for expansion. Those are the Diabetes Prevention Program, the Home Health Program, and the Hospice Program. Healthcare's age-old story on value-based care delivery holds true. Lots of activity, little progress. The refresh does place health equity front and center and commits to more Medicaid reform. Those are good things, particularly in the wake of COVID and its revelation of the nation's massive health disparities and inequities. The other lessons learned though, Dave, have a duh quality to them. Yes, there are too many programs. Yes, the programs are too complex and participants game the payment mechanics. Yes, downside risk is harder. Yes, voluntary programs don't work very well. Yes, the program should be transformative. You asked what lessons I'd add to the list. I'd add three. Programs that work have been big, mandatory, and simple to understand and measure. And there's been exactly one. That's why I'm a big fan of Maryland's all-payer model. Everyone participates. It guarantees savings in total care costs, hospital and non-hospital care. Through uniform payment within global budgets, Hospitals that meet quality metrics keep incremental savings. Over the last five years, Maryland has gone from having Medicare costs at 1% above the national average to 1% below the national average with improvements in quality and no cost shifting to other sectors. CMMI should be figuring out how to replicate this kind of success. Got it, Dave. Thank you. Julie, what's your take on these lessons learned? Do you see any of them reflected in the successes or failures of the companies that you're following? Well, I have to say the best line I saw from all of this was Liz Fowler's statement where she said, we have not always mined the experience of our models to understand what really changed. And this is an important shift from focusing solely on the money that Medicare saves, which obviously is important to all of us and the country, to you know focusing on other important criteria that may result in positive impacts on you know those factors that are informing the bigger picture of health for beneficiaries. So I think this is consistent with the fact that, you know, I couldn't agree more with Dave on Maryland. Like our focus on savings is so critical, but really understanding where savings can come from by moving to more preventative. We're certainly, as I've shared on this show before, 
seeing an explosion of social determinants of health companies, innovators that are looking to manage health equity issues in one way or another. You know, we're not seeing a ton of them that are models that are taking risk at this point, but they are trying to enable risk taking on the part of providers. I just think that's a, a big statement CMS is making there. Now, when it comes to saving money, I've said this before, but we've certainly seen companies like Stellar and Embedded Health that are building physician tools that make sense of all the benefit complexity in the back end. So the physician can, you know, optimally treat and code that one patient in front of them, regardless of, you know, the physician's understanding of the detailed benefit plan. So, uh, you know, I'd say what's interesting about what CMS is doing is they're going to go to simplify things. How will that simplify this complexity across the industry? And what will that mean to some of these innovators who are making their entire businesses, building their entire businesses on managing the complexity? So that'll be interesting. And, you know, frankly, for those entrepreneurs like Evelyn back in the good old days and Ava who are creating systems to manage risks such that payers and providers can execute on bundles and other payment models. This, it should be helpful. I'll say that. The simplification, the focus, I would hope that that would start to ease our ability to adopt. Got it. Thanks, Julie. It's not just the what, it's the how. A great insight. Dave, anything to add to Julie's comments? Well, I really like Julie's observation about these creative and innovative primary care companies that are focusing primarily on prevention and, and care management. That really could be a game changer and it'd be great if these programs incentivize that, like Maryland's does, by the way. There is almost a primary care hunger games out there with the number of companies that are competing to get into the primary care market space. And, and I think overall, that's gonna be good for the country's healthcare as that unfolds. Last week, Julie did introduce the concept of word clouds to our discussions. And in my conversations about Biden's CMMI, the words that keep coming up are things like timid, incremental, soft, slow, bureaucratic. I hope Julie's right. We're going to see them really learn lessons and move forward in a much more bold and aggressive manner. Anyone with healthcare knowledge and a brain knows that we won't change the way we deliver care without changing the way we pay for care. CMMI carries a big mandate to make meaningful payment reform. They need to embrace direct contracting, be bold and, and go big, learn the lessons and, and execute. Otherwise, this refresh will just be another paper shuffle and healthcare's had way too many of those. Got it, Dave, thanks. Yeah, let's get tough on value. Now let's talk about the forward-looking components of the center's new direction. The report outlines five strategic objectives over the next 10 years. One, drive accountable care. Two, advance health equity. Three, support innovation. Four, address affordability. And five, partner to achieve system transformation. Julie, what's your take on these strategic objectives? Are any of them new? Are any of them more doable than others? There's about two hours worth of discussion here, so I'm just going to riff a little. <laughs> you, you got two minutes, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I think as we've talked about before, we have a long way to go on health equity because of the data. There is not sufficient data on the people that we need to better understand how we're caring for. Capturing that data is very challenging in terms of people's reluctance to actually share more personal, social, non-healthcare data with their providers. So 
this is an uphill slog. Never mind the fact that once we get the data, we're going to have to really try to understand what does it mean and what are we seeing out there and how do we wrap quality definitions around it? I mean, the, it's complex, but it's so important. And I'm so glad that we're focused on it here. It's a huge statement for CMS to be putting this, uh, you know, health equity so front and center. Second, I'll just say I saw the phrase multi-payer alignment mentioned several times. And I just want to remind us all how many times we have seen efforts to get health plans together to align on just data at the, you know, at the end of the day. So I don't know what this really means, but, you know, if the commercial markets follow CMS, then maybe it's just that simple. We'll all align. (laughs) Third, I'll say this bucket of support innovation. Okay. Well, what does that mean? A couple of things I could see, you know, we've talked uh, last week about how CEOs can save a bundle of money, pardon the pun, with inside their four walls. And there are ways that CEOs should look at this strategy and say, how can I support innovation within my four walls? How can I turn data inside out to develop more longitudinal relationships with patients that earn me more revenue and potentially put me in a position to manage risk? How can I understand more from my patients before they come in? What's their social situation? What ails them? What are their preferences? This could lead to frankly, better care and, you know, more valuable care. There's a whole bunch of things in here that if I really just started to peel the onion back, could get pretty exciting, but it's a lot of the same old, same old, but I think what's important is that CMS is saying it. Right. And you don't have to wait for CMS to do any of this stuff yourself. Thanks, Julie. Dave, do CMMI's strategic objectives move the needle on value-based care in the right direction? What are their odds of success? How will they affect the market for value-based care models in the private sector? And you have two minutes too, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm still chuckling on uh, Julie's calling out multi-payer alignment because I kept seeing that phrase too and was thinking, wow, what a mouthful. And I'm not even exactly sure what it means, but uh, hopefully they'll get that right. CMMI's strategic refresh is well-intentioned, honest, and says the right things. But let's not mistake articulation for accomplishment. So far, Biden's CMMI has made no progress, no progress toward value-based payment. In fact, they've done the opposite. They've slowed everything down, including the expansion of the direct contracting program to do this strategic refresh. Now is the time for action. And I wish I had more confidence that the current CMMI leadership will pursue big and bold transformative reforms feels to me like they're playing small ball. So I don't expect them to move the needle much toward incentivizing more progressive private market reforms. I really hope I'm wrong on that. But let me say one other thing. If CMMI is going to be true to its commitment on health equity, they really have to tackle Medicaid reform in a big way and much more aggressively. The states with the worst Medicaid programs like Texas receive the highest federal subsidies. Federal government pays for 73% of Texas's Medicaid expenditures. States with good Medicaid programs get less than half of their expenditures paid for. Subsidy, equity, and outcomes need to align in Medicaid care provision. So let's hope Biden's CMMI puts some of its muscle into transformative Medicaid reform. That would earn them high marks for truly revolutionary transformation. Added, make Medicaid reform a priority. Thanks, Dave. Julie, anything to add to Dave's comments? I mean, I'm feeling like Dave's a little bit of a hater this morning. (laughs) 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 This stuff is hard. 
I hear you, Dave. It's not like some, you know, momentous, huge change, but that is not what our government is ever under any administration. So I just want to thank our lucky stars that we're in a place today, 2021, where huge organization and payer like CMS is talking about the flexibilities that support care in patients' homes and community settings and telehealth. I can remember in probably maybe eight or 10 years ago when a CMS letter came out talking about sites of care because there was a huge focus as to whether the home could ever be a site of care for certain things. So, you know, in some ways, the fact that it's taken 10 years to come as far is ridiculous. And in other ways, I'm just thankful that we're getting somewhere where we can actually say that telehealth is a site of care. So I'm I'm going to be glass half full here because I really want us to make progress with how people interpret what this refresh is. Got it. Thanks, Julie. I hope you're right. I really do. Well, well, regardless of whether the center's uh, plan succeeds or fails, it will give us a lot to talk about on future episodes of the Roundup, right? And uh, we're all thankful for that. That's for sure. <laughs> now let's talk briefly about other big healthcare news this past week. Julie, what else caught your attention and why? I don't know if you saw this, but Iram is taking a leave of absence as CEO of CityBlock, and he shared an extremely personal and transparent letter that he wrote to his employees on social media about how he's taking a six-month leave of absence to really finally address some of the issues he struggles with with depression. And, you know, I think to see um, a CEO who has made a household name for himself in healthcare step out and say this and, you know, set up a plan for the company to be able to really work around and with him is pretty striking. So I'm pretty impressed. And I wish I had the best. Yeah, a breakthrough moment. That's great. Thanks, Julie. Dave, what did your healthcare news radar pick up this week that we should know about? I've had two of the best days I've had in a while, last Thursday and Friday in Cleveland. I serve on the board of the Community Builders, TCB, the nation's largest nonprofit developer of low and moderate income communities. TCB won a big $35 million choice grant award from HUD to redevelop a public housing project in the zip code with Ohio's lowest life expectancy. We were there for the groundbreaking and it was a joyous affair. Interestingly, TCB's initial investment is going into human infrastructure through its community life program, reaching out to and engaging residents to create a safer, healthier, more cohesive, connected and humane neighborhood. The new homes will come later in phases. This type of home power transformation that combines social and healthcare services is our best shot at promoting well-being and advancing human potential in low-income communities. So stay tuned and watch the magic happen in Cleveland. That's great. Good news. Thanks, Dave. For me, it was the CDC recommending COVID-19 vaccines for kids ages 5 to 11. This is where the rubber hits the road for anti-vaxxers, I think. You know, it's one thing to put your own life at risk by not getting vaccinated. It's another to put your own child's life at risk. So let's hope parents make the right decision. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. You also can find a recording of this podcast and all our podcasts on the Healthcare Now Radio Network, iTunes, Spotify, and other streaming services. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. 
Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.